I V M. Welcome to the Takshashila podcast with me, Hamsni Hariharan. Over the last decade, governments across the world are witnessing the rise of strong leaders. In Asia alone, you have Rodrigo Duterte in the Philippines, Shinzo Abe in Japan, Aung San Suu Kyi in Myanmar, Narendra Modi in India, amongst many, many others. Beyond Asia, you can identify authoritarian figures from Vladimir Putin to Benjamin Netanyahu to Hugo Chavez and possibly even Donald Trump. Our victory is going to be a victory for the great majority of Americans whose voice has not been heard for many, many years. But the rise of authoritarian leaders isn't the exception. It's increasingly becoming an international trend. Today, I'm joined by Manu Bhagwan, professor of history and human rights at the Hunter College. He's also the author of the book, The Peacemakers, India's Quest for One World. So in March 2016, Manu, you wrote an article in Quartz on the rise of global authoritarianism. Could you tell us more about this global movement? Um, sure. Uh, so uh, essentially what I say in the piece, I observe, I, I, I take Donald Trump as a starting off point, uh, but observe that I feel that he is simply part of a larger picture, uh, that we see authoritarianism on the rise around the world, as witnessed by observations, commentary, uh, and analysis to that effect from local media and local intellectuals in all of these particular sites. Um, So taking that as a jumping off point, uh, my essay is really a search for an explanation for why we see this phenomenon occurring so frequently, so many places, in so many contexts. Why is it, in short, a global phenomenon as opposed to, in particular, local? Um, And my conclusion is essentially that it is driven by three factors which have one common denominator. The common denominator is globalization, uh, and there are three variants of globalization which I see as driving this rise of authoritarianism. These are the globalization of economy, the globalization of crisis, and the globalization of conflict. Uh, These three factors have driven both financial and personal insecurity around the world. People feel that they have a hard time getting ahead or staying afloat, that if they do what they're supposed to, go to school, get a job, work hard, that is insufficient anymore to to make it, to to stay safe. Um, They feel like at any moment they might lose their job, they might lose their health insurance, they might have no access to anything on the one hand. And then secondly, they also feel personally at risk. They feel personally at risk from um, risks of terror, for example. Uh, They feel at risk from the actions of states with drones, for example. They feel at risk from public health threats like Zika and Ebola, to name two, but there are many others. They feel at threat from global climate change, catastrophic weather patterns, and they feel at threat related to the first one from financial contagions. Things are happening that are beyond anyone's control. They demand that their governments, their elected representatives try to help them, try to protect them, and local governments cannot because these are global phenomena, systemic, amorphous, and outside of the reach of any particular government's ability to fix. So as a result, a number of populists have taken advantage of the situation. They've 
uh, entered the picture promising all kinds of things and blaming particular groups for the populists uh, tend to lean into xenophobia and jingoism um, and unleash as, as a result uh, violent suppression of the media, of dissent, and of groups that have been objectified as enemies. In the case of Donald Trump uh, in the United States, uh, the, in the piece, my point at the end is that uh, he therefore must be seen as part of a larger pattern of authoritarianism. Uh, and in that sense, it doesn't really matter whether he wins or loses, because what he will have done is unleash those kinds of forces, part of a disaggregated um, international authoritarian movement uh, in the United States, uh, and that could lead to greater instability and violence, which will further feed, in fact, uh, the very need that is driving authoritarianism in the first place. So it's a vicious circle um, that we need to be very wary of. We should it, it should give all of us pause. All right. So if authoritarianism's new base is populism, then what will these strong leaders do when they fail to live up to their promises? Because they can't by themselves solve these systemic problems. Uh, so I'm not sure that uh, that many are thinking that far ahead. But I would look at it this way. Authoritarianism is having its moment, uh, and the populace who benefit's goal is for them to personally benefit, by and large. What is the risk to them? It's relatively less, because in the case where they begin to take over all institutions and suppress dissent, uh, they will no longer need to be responsive to democratic challenges, because they will begin to control all elements and arms of the state. Again, a, um, a dangerous proposition that should, I think, concern people around the world. The rise of these authoritarian regimes has also meant that there is a huge backlash against internationalism. We're seeing debates where nationalism and, and internationalism are placed at two different ends. So what do you have to say about the new internationalism that exists? Right. Uh, excellent question, and I think the most dramatic example of what you're talking about is what we saw take place with Brexit uh, and Europe. Um, I think that most clearly illustrates your point. Um, I, I think that uh, the very serious, very serious theorists, activists, and political figures who dealt with internationalism in the 20th century saw it as a correlative of nationalism. Nationalism was something that was important and necessary, served a purpose, uh, but that, like all things, uh, could be taken to extremes and in its extremes was dangerous. Um, and so internationalism in that sense was theorized as a means to mitigate the extremist elements of nationalism and to draw nationalism into a larger framework which is the internationalist. There are also many internationalisms and many nationalisms, just so that we're clear. So what I'm talking about in particular are the progressive and liberal forms of internationalism. There's also imperial internationalism, which is a different kind of correlative to nationalism. Uh, so in the, um, in the progressive and liberal forms of internationalism, I think uh, uh, the problem has been with which Brexit demonstrates um, the fact that the institutions that we have currently, whether it's the United Nations as a whole, whether it's 
um, the WTO, the WHO, um, the IMF. It, it doesn't really matter. By and large, all of these different kinds of organizations are seen these days as aloof, removed from the publics that they affect and impact, detached from the voices of concern coming from the populations whose policies these or the the who are impacted by the policies of these institutions. Um, and so there's been a growing resentment and anxiety about international bureaucrats, international institutions controlling lives in an undemocratic way. Now, Brexit played to people's basest fears. It suggested to them that these institutions and these elitists were the cause of the problems that they faced and that it played to the sense that they had these, that local people in Britain had lost control over their lives, over their country, a sense of sovereignty. And that this promised a return of those things. Falsely, I think, um, for one thing, it cannot be fixed that simply um, because of the process of globalization we've already discussed. But secondly, also because there was an active, misleading, outright, um, disingenuous propaganda campaign. Um, which facilitated all of those things. So um, uh, the main takeaway, I think, is this. Um, uh, there is nonetheless truth to the criticism uh, that international institutions as they exist have unfortunately, um, have unfortunately gotten too far removed from the people that they impact. Reform is necessary. We are at an important turning point. The question is whether we take the road in which we reform our international institutions, whether they be regional as with those of the European Union, or whether they be global as with the larger arms of the United Nations, and other kinds of things that we might yet develop. Um, uh, will, we take, will we hear the message, which I think is really at the root of Brexit, which is reform is necessary to address real people's needs. Uh, we must democratize um, our global institutions. Um, and as proof of that, the IMF, for example, released a report examining its policies and the impact of those policies in the actions that they took in Greece. The report was scathing. It was a scathing report which said the IMF made terrible mistakes, should have done things very differently. What is the result of that report? Uh, um, at least on our appearances, the IMF has taken no serious action and continues on the same path that it tread on Greece now towards Spain. So uh, I think um, these are indicators that there is something askew with the way things stand and that reform, uh, dramatic reform, to create a true progressive internationalism is necessary. Wow, those are deliberations that I think that everyone should be thinking about in both our country as well as around the world. Thank you so much for illuminating us. Thank you. All right. You're listening to the Takshila podcast. I'm Hamsmi Haryaran with Manu Bhagwan at Bangkok. Thank you. Thank you so much. Hey, hey, it's been another great week on the IVM Podcast Network. 
On All Things Policy, Ananya Desai and Rohan Pai discuss recurrent bans on fireworks during festive seasons in India and discuss possible solutions to tackle India's air pollution problem. On the Habit Coach podcast, Ashton Doctor welcomes Sahil Mehta, an esteemed mountaineer and author of the book Break Free. Sahil shares a transformative experience which became the catalyst for embracing discipline and fulfillment. The episode explores the profound impact of vulnerability on personal growth. Folks, if you like our shows, do spread the word, tell your friends and don't forget to rate and review them wherever you're listening to them. Follow us on social media. We are IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and LinkedIn. You'll also find all our shows on YouTube at youtube.com/ivmpodcasts. And finally, we would like to thank our sponsors this week. Omidyar Network India, Abbott, IDFC First Bank and Save Life Foundation. Thank you for making this possible.